The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and I want to start today's show with a quote from Peter Drucker, who says that the leader of the past may have been a person who knew how to tell, but certainly the leader of the future will be a person who knows how to ask. Of all the insights of Peter Drucker, that may be one of the most important, because I am convinced that the ability to ask great questions is absolutely the secret to inspiring and motivating people. And I know it's the secret to effective delegations, because without great questions, you don't, tell, you don't get people to think for themselves, and you certainly don't get them engaged, and you don't figure out what motivates them, and all you get is compliance at best, modest amounts of commitment, and you don't build great trust. So now, we may all know that. That may not be a surprise to anybody. But I find in the heat of the conversation, leaders generally ask really lousy questions. Typically ones such as, don't you think that X and Y is the right way? Which is really just another version of telling. So today, what I want to do is to focus on great questions. And and my belief on this one is if you have three, four, five questions ready at hand as a leader that's kind of in your docket set, maybe even tucked underneath your pad on your desk, that you can in the moment remember to ask really good questions and get better better results as a result. Okay, so with me today is Bob Titi. Bob is on the staff of Crew, and he's been there for 45 years. His job is developing the next generation of leaders. And as Bob said, in 15 to 20 years from now, all of the current crew leaders will no longer be leading. And in their place will be the leaders we are now developing. It's a really worthwhile thought for all of us to consider. Bob goes on to say, if we fail now, crew does not fail today or tomorrow, but may fail 15 to 20 years from now. So Bob's job is to recruit outstanding leaders from all over the map, government, business, education, medicine, military, nonprofits, to coach current crew leaders, and they do this every week via Skype video. And as part of this, Bob started a blog called leadingwithquestions.com as a way to better connect with his target audience, which are crew's emerging leaders, around 20 to 30. Today, that blog is followed by leaders in more than 170 com- countries. And even better, Bob has a great book on the Fortune 100 list called Great Leaders Ask Great Questions. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Wanda, it is my pleasure. I'm excited to be uh, here with you today. I'm excited to hear your comments. I think this is going to be fabulous. I have to ask first, what got you started asking questions? Wow. Well, in 2006... 
my wife loves to go to bookstores, and we were in a bookstore. She goes all over the store. I just go to the business section, and there I found on the shelf a book by Dr. Michael Morquart, uh, George Washington University, called Leading with Questions. Perusing a few pages, I said, wow, this is a keeper. I took it home, and I, it was a page-turner. I devoured it. And uh, as a result, my paradigm on leadership shifted like 180 degrees. Wanda, I was, I guess, what I would call a benevolent dictator. Uh, I loved my staff. I thought a leader's job was to be directive. And so I was directive. And uh, only as I read Dr. Mark Ward's book did I see, wow, there's a paradigm that's so much better than leading by telling, and that's leading by asking. So that's really what got it started for me, Wanda. All right, so let's stay with that one for a minute, because uh, I think a lot of people genuinely want to do the right thing for their staff, for the people that they work with, directly or indirectly, and they often believe that, particularly as an expert, I know more than you, which is true, and that part of my job is to make sure you understand what I understand, and it's just faster and more efficient if I tell you what I know. Oh, exactly, exactly. And, uh, I mean, we're trapped a lot of times thinking, well, the leader's job is to tell instead of really understanding that a leader's job is to ask. There's a quote. You you shared the great quote by Peter Drucker. There's a quote by Jack Welch, former chairman and CEO of General Electric. He says, when you are an individual contributor, you try to have all the answers. When you are a leader, your job is to have all the questions. And, and I love that quote, and I love just the paradigm. I mean, Wanda, I, share, I ask this kind of silly question, but I'll ask it of you, Wanda. If you were in a rowboat with all your staff, and there were oars for everyone, and you were headed across the lake, how many of them would you like to have row with you? All of them, hopefully. Yeah, Exactly. And, uh, I mean, I think we'd all answer the question that way. But the point is, so then why would you want to row all into the future with your team, but you be the only one with oar in the water? Why would you not want to get all their oars in the water by just asking them, I mean, Wanda, one of my favorite questions is so simple. And I loved what you said, writing some down. In fact, Wanda, can I share... Well, I sometimes say this. I can uh, teach you how to lead with questions in less than 30 seconds by having you memorize my four favorite questions. Wanda, are you game for this? I'm ready. Let's hear them. Okay. The first question is, what do you think? Now, of course, it would be, what do you think about? And it would be whatever the topic is that your team is uh, having to address. So, Ania, what do you think? The second question is, what else? The third one is, what else? The fourth one is, what else? Now, Wanda, can you repeat back? I mean, I want to see if you've memorized my four favorite questions. I got that one. What do you think? And then what else? What else? And what else? Now, but Bob, now, I, yeah, that I can ask- sound a bit... 
Go ahead, Wanda. And I was going to say, I ask classes when I'm doing training and development, and I have a group of people in front of me, and we've just done a series of exercises. I will ask the class, what do you think? And honestly, I never get any answers. They just stare at me like they don't know. And I, then I joke with them. I tease with them. Well, you don't have any ideas. You don't have any reactions. But often we don't get the response we're looking for. Why is that? Hmm. Well, that's, that is very interesting. Wanda, can you take me back and tell me just a bit more about that class? All right. So I'm going to tell you what I think about this. So we've done a class. We've done, you know, a series of activities. We've maybe heard somebody, uh, a senior leader speak. We might have looked at some data or some analysis or some 360 feedback. And my opening question is, what do you think? And then I'll follow that with what insights do you have? What observations? What questions? And I just get blank stares. I think it's partly because we aren't used to having to think for ourselves. We're used to somebody telling us what to think. I think, I think you're exactly right. I recently read, I can't give you the specifics on it, but a, uh, a study, uh, an experiment, I guess, with uh, middle, uh, middle school students who were failing and had to come to summer school. And in coming to summer school, they turned the thing upside down. Instead of traditional teaching, the teacher said, um, here's the topic. What questions would you all like to have asked? And, and they had to brainstorm questions about that topic of things they would like to know. They then selected the top three or four questions they wanted answers to. And in teams, they had to use the Internet to go find the answers. Well, their grades over that summer skyrocketed. And uh, so effective that the whole school is now using that system. But I think there's something about um, the educational system in its traditional form that actually creates a block. We expect teachers to tell us the answers. And, uh, and so called on to uh, what do we think on a topic before the teacher has told us the right answer, I think we're, hesitate, we're hesitant to answer. That would be you know, my quick response, right. Wanda. Okay. All right. So let's go back to your main question. Here I am as a leader of an organization. I'm sitting with somebody who works with me or alongside me or for me formally. And my question to them is, what do you think? On whatever the topic is, what do you think? And I listen and then I ask what else? And then I listen and I ask what else again? And then I listen and I ask what else one more time? Why is that process so effective in leading within an organization? Well, here, here's my experience of what makes it effective. And, and, Wanda, it is so important, the inflection in your voice when you ask the what else. It's, and you may even add some words. It's like, wow, Wanda, this is good. Can, can I take notes? Keep talking. What else? Wow. This is breakthrough thinking, Wanda. Keep talking. What else? And I share that kind of instinctively when we're asked what do we think about something, this is almost at a subconscious level. Our first answer is kind of a safe one. We kind of roll that out, and then we see how it'll be treated. So if Wanda gives me an answer, and I say, oh, Wanda, everyone knows that. That's dumb. Well, you're glad you didn't say anything else. You certainly aren't going to say anything more. But when I say, wow, this is good, keep talking, 
I actually find that many times you get to the gold nugget, the gold vein, the third or fourth time you ask, what else? Because at that point, they're feeling completely safe, and they're really beginning to share their very best thinking with you. And uh, that's why that works. Okay. All right, now, are there any situations where that isn't going to work very well? Well, certainly there can be times, Wanda, where the topic, they just don't have anything to offer on that topic. I mean, they just simply haven't had any experience or are not knowledgeable on that topic. And uh, so when you're asking, you know, we're not doing a 60 Minutes investigation to try to catch somebody. Okay, gotcha, you don't know. And so uh, I think we move on. We move on when, I mean, read, read our audience and move on. Now, there's another thought, though, and that is uh, sometimes we are uncomfortable with the silence. And so we jump in while they're still processing. And so there's times, and again, you have to read the audience and understand, or the individual. But I find there's times if I'll just be silent and let them think, I will get an answer, and it will be a good one. And uh, But I'm so tempted to re-ask the question or to start stacking questions, asking related questions, because somehow I'm uncomfortable with the silence. So I say to myself and others, be quiet. Don't interrupt. Let them think, and they will answer. All right, so there are three components to this. I love the notion that you just ask this question, what do you think? And I follow that with what else and what else and what else so that I get to the real core, the stuff they weren't telling me because they were being safe. But to do that, it comes with a couple of really important components. One of those is the intonation in my voice has to show enthusiasm, respect, genuine interest, because without that, I'm going to look cynical and that'll shut it down. So, and then the second thing is I have to get really comfortable with silence because sometimes people need a moment. This is an unusual question. They need a while to think and they're probably sitting there panicking. Oh my gosh, what am I supposed to say? So a little bit of patience and even acknowledge to people, that's okay. I take a moment to think. I would imagine would be really helpful here. Exactly, Wanda. Uh, I would, you know, you've read those two things exactly correct. Um, there's another little insight on this simple question. And Wanda, let me ask it, ask it of you this way. When a superior to you, or in the past, when a, when a supervisor or director said, Wanda, what do you think about some topic? How did that make you feel? Well, if I feel put on the spot, not very good. But if I feel like somebody's genuinely interested, I feel really excited about it. Exactly. And I find, again, it's so important to read the the body language and, you know, have emotional intelligence about this. But in general, as I've asked the question I just asked you of people, they say, wow, it makes me feel valued. It makes me feel like my supervisor thinks I have something to offer. And without the supervisor having said, now, Wanda, I respect you. Their action of asking you, what do you think, communicated respect. And so I say to leaders, if that's been true of your experience from your leaders, how will your staff 
feel when you ask them what they think. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, in many cases, again, if we've done it correctly, uh, sensitively, they're going to say, wow, my director thinks I have something to offer. Yeah, sounds good to me. I'm going to go back to um, a comment from one of my all-time favorite CEOs who says he was from within, promoted from within the organization. And he said one of the hardest things for him to get used to when he became CEO is that up until the day he became CEO, his conversations with his colleagues were just, you know, everybody offered opinion, no big deal. The moment he became the CEO, though, Everyone waited to see what his reactions were before they offered. And he had to learn not to give an opinion because as the leader now, his opinion carries more weight. And so it is very valuable to do this stop and say, I want to hear, even if I know what I think and where I think we are to go, let me hear where other people are, what they're thinking, and listen to that. Follow it up. What else and what else? And that's important and say more about it that that is a powerful way of making sure you've uncovered everything you need to uncover in the room. I also find it's a fabulous way to reach consensus much faster because we stop talking in circles. So incredibly powerful. All right, Bob, we're going to take a break here. Um, I'm talking with Bob Titi. The book, if you're interested, is called Great Leaders Ask Questions. It's a Fortune 100 list, and Bob's blog is leadingwithquestions.com. When I come back, though, I want to focus now on a little bit more about how do you dig into deeper questions and get more responses from people, a broader repertoire. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you feel overwhelmed by money? Not how much you have, but how to talk about it? We face financial decisions every single day that can change the game for us. Listen for Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. You'll learn more about what you can do with your money and ultimately what it can do for you. Don't cower under a rock about investing in personal finance. Talk about it with your family, your friends, and more. Listen every Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. 
Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Bob Teedy. Bob is on the staff of Crew and has been there for 45 years for the job of developing the next generation of leaders. His book, Great Leaders Ask Questions, it's one of Fortune 100 list. And even better, if you go to Bob's website, leadingwithquestions.com, you can download a free ebook and or a free audiobook. So loads of fabulous questions. Now, what I want to do in this segment, we just talked about the most powerful question that exists as a leader and the simplest one to do, which is to ask with genuine interest and curiosity and some enthusiasm, what do you think? And then to pause and wait and allow silence, let people think and listen to the answer. And then to follow that with, okay, that's great. What else? And again, what else? And then again, what else? Because the third time you ask what else, you're going to get to the part that really, really matters. You can also do that in different ways, of course, by saying, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. But again, it has to be in a way that is enthusiastic, so it encourages people to really open up. All right, so Bob, I want to talk about the repertoire. So in in your book, you have over 100 of your favorite questions. Can you tell me some of your favorites? And particularly, you have this lovely teaser that you says one consultant uses is four questions to earn a massive income. How do they do that? Oh, this is a this is a delightful little story. And and again, Wanda, you and the listeners will have these four memorized almost as quickly as you hear them. But uh, he shares that uh, as a consultant, he makes a handsome six figure income. And he said, and I do it by just asking four questions. The first one is, what's going well? The second is, what's not? The third is, where are you stuck? And the fourth is, what needs to change? Now, when he uh, shared this, he shared that it is so important to start with that first question, what's going well? And if he was consulting Wanda with you for a whole day, he says he'd spend the whole morning on question one, what's going well? Now, he has a few follow-up things. Wanda, tell me more about that. Wanda, where did you figure that out? Wanda, this is brilliant. Keep talking. And uh, and only after he has heard all these wonderful things, perhaps after lunch, he says, now, Wanda, wow, this morning you outlined all the things that are going well. Perhaps is there anything that's not going well? And he shares that, uh, you know, by noon, you're thinking this is one of the smartest consultants you've ever spent time with because he has, you know, celebrated with you. And uh, he creates a safe environment. So when he asks what's not, you actually say, well, there are a couple of things. And he says, well, let's talk about it. And then where are you stuck and what needs to change? And Wanda, those are really simple. I've found I can use those with any individual, or I can use them in a meeting, uh, a committee that we're on. And also, just as a leader, Wanda, again, 
you and I are just getting to know one another. You may be wiser than I've been, but how many times I've jumped into a meeting with my team where there's a challenge on the table and I'm immediately jumping into the challenge instead of taking time for us to celebrate all the things that are going well. And uh, Wanda, just an interesting little story. I was on a, similar to today, I was on a podcast with Tom Ziegler, Zig Ziegler's son. And we got to this part, and he said, Bob, he said, I'm a bit of a brain nerd. And he said, can I tell you why, from a brain science point of view, that first question, what's going well, is so important? I said, Tom, please enlighten me. He said, when you ask that first question, it creates, the brain begins to produce all sorts of endorphins, a feeling of well-being. And he said, in that feeling of well-being, we can tackle problems much better, much easier than if we're on the opposite side of that, of feeling negative and feeling like we're a failure, and now I need to address this. It was just a great insight. It's also, um, I find, incredibly useful to start with the positive for a host of other reasons, and not just because we want to all feel good, but in addition, there are some people who are just want to warm up to change. And if you start changing everything, they start getting worried that we're going to throw out the good stuff, not just the stuff that needs to be changed. And when you start with acknowledging what's going well, they get comfort that we're not going to mess that stuff up. And exactly. I Really powerful way to go with this. I love that. So the four questions then, scattered through the day with a lot of listening and some follow-up, tell me more, and so on. What's going really well? And then what's not going so well? Where are you stuck? And what needs to change? All right. I can see how that would make a powerful, and I can see how that would make a powerful comment from any leader working with any person anywhere. Can you imagine doing a performance review where those are the four questions you use? It would yeah, that's a great idea. Performance reviews on its end. All right, now, I want to shift a bit. I want to ask you about a comment that you make in your book. You say that there have to be three guidelines for a great question, the question behind the question. And you talk about starting with the who, what, where, or when, how. And then you say it has to contain an I and focus on an action. Tell me what you mean by that and why does that work so well? Well, to give a little context, my friend John Miller has written a book, QBQ, The Question Behind the Question. And in his book, he says that we often ask incorrect questions. He calls them victim questions. I'll give an example. It'd be like in an organization, we say, when are they going to tell us what's going on? And John says, you know, you can ask that question forever, and it doesn't cause them to tell you anything. And, uh, but he, in his book, he calls it the question behind the question. There could be another topic. Let's say you're asking, when are they going to train me? Well, John would say the topic of that question is training. And uh, as you said, the three things, it always needs to start with I, not them. Uh, the second thing, remind me, Wanda, you have it in front of you. I don't. Okay, so you begin with a what, a how. Or how, not the why, when, or who. So what or how, and then it's I, not a they, we, or you, and then we focus on the action. 
And so John would suggest the correct question would be, what could I do to get trained? In other words, you ask that. What could I do to get trained? It follows all three of those components. And rather than hoping that someday you'll get trained, when you ask, what can I do to get trained, you could then go and say, hey, is there a training program? Two, or second, could I go online and find a training program? Or third, is there an experienced staff that I could invite to lunch and ask if they would train me? And so that's how you ask the correct question following those guidelines instead of the incorrect or victim question. I love that. So if I go back to your victim question, which is when are they going to tell us what's going on, which doesn't get you anywhere, and I turn that around to how can I find out what's going on? Yes. It puts me in a powerful position. I love that. So we shift from being the victim to being the one who's in the power. Okay? Love it. can think of a dozen ways in which that would be a useful question to ask, a useful way to reframe it. Um, you talk a lot about one-word questions. Can you tell us a little bit more about are those useful or not useful and when? Well, Wanda, in my book, uh, I share at least one one situation that we kind of uh, are in rather frequently. We'll hear a, a friend or a staff member or, you know, someone we're having a conversation with, and uh, they will uh, share an emotion. And, uh, for example, uh, she might say, what a frustrating day I'm having. Well, the one-word question would be simply for you to ask with a questioning inflection, repeat the emotional word and say, frustrating? Or, uh, you know, he says, I am so exasperated. And your question simply can be, again, the one word, exasperated? And I've found, uh, again, without, well, it's just so effective. It's so simple again. And, and so effective. I, I don't have to comment on, on or guess or, or anything in which it truly would be a guess. Just with that one word, using their emotionally charged word and creating a questioning inflection gives them a chance to speak. And Wanda, speak they do. I can imagine. So, Bob, it strikes me that this is a simple way of going 60% of the way to improve your emotional intelligence. So rather than feeling like you have to have an answer for whatever anybody comes to you for, let that go. Tune in to whatever emotional words are stated in what someone just said to you and ask a question around that emotional word. So I just have to learn to listen for the emotional words. I'm aggravated. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm tired. And I pick up that word and ask it as a question, and then I get people to talk. And from there, it's a tell me more and tell me more. And as you do that, I think you're going to find that people begin to solve their own problems. Now, you have a particular way of dealing with when people complain. Complain. What's your suggestion there? Well, this is really interesting. Uh, And I get this from my friend Barry Rush, uh, one of my colleagues. And the fact is, as leaders, we all have staff who come and share complaints with us. And Barry simply says, Wanda, I hear your complaint. What is your request? Great. Great. 
I know a lot of CEOs will say, um, tell me what you want from me. What do you want me to do? That that's the thing they want to leave the conversation with. Tell me what you want from me or what do you want from me? They'll ask that question and therefore you've done that exactly. I hear the complaint. What's your request? Great. Now, you talk about a Navy commander, um, Michael Abrashoff, I think I said that correctly, who turned the yes. morale around on a ship. Tell us that story and tell us what he did. How did he do it? Well, it's an amazing leadership story. Uh, Commander Abrashoff's methods were not complex, but the results were astounding. Under his 20-month command, it was the USS Benfold, one of the Navy's most modern warships, uh, they operated on 75% of the allocated budget, returning $1.4 million to Navy coffers. Uh, their combat readiness indicators were the highest ever in the history of the Pacific Fleet. The promotion rate of his people were two and a half times the Navy average. And, and the good things just go on. But here is how simple it was. When he took command, he had 15-minute personal interviews with each of his 300 staff. And during those personal interviews, he asked three very simple questions. Question one is, what do you like best about this ship? Question two, what do you like least? Question three, what would you change if you could? Now, he didn't make any promises that he would change everything he was asked about, but he was listening for themes, using common sense, and almost immediately, he began to implement ideas from those questions. And uh, it just, I mean, it just astounds me, Wanda, so often we think, uh, or I have people I interact with, and it's kind of like they embrace the idea of leading with questions, but they view it kind of like having to go to school to be a brain surgeon. It's beyond their reach. And what I love about leading with questions is it is really so simple. As you said, write down a few of these, have them at your desk, and uh, you don't need to go get a master's in questionology to be a leader who leads with questions. That's great. I love it. So we turn the morale around for some of the same reasons we said earlier about the consultant. You start by asking, what do you like best? That's the positive. That's what creates a sense that not all is broken and that I feel comfortable now, a safe space. And then I say, what do you like the least? And what would you change if you could? And it reminds me again of one of my favorite CEOs says that one of the ways that you um, assert your authority and get followership is that you have to fix stuff. And if you don't know what to fix, ask people. They have a tendency to tell you what's broken. And this is exactly it. What do you like best? What do you like least? And what would you change if you could? And then we're looking for the key, the themes, the pain points. Where are the things that if we took action on would make a biggest difference? Okay, now, Bob, I have to turn to one last one. You have a particular way of using questions to deal with performance problems as well. So what's your take on that one? Wanda, are you referring to the two questions, or are you referring to uh, the four questions? Well, I'm sorry. We can do it either way, but I really liked your starting question, which was getting leaders to think about what is it that you're tolerating. Ah, uh, yes. Um, 
one of my good friends, colleagues, her favorite question is with leaders is, what are you tolerating? And she says she finds that almost all of us are tolerating something, tolerating something that if we'd only fix it, we wouldn't be wasting emotional energy on it every day. And uh, it could be as simple as the squeaky chair, and yet we haven't taken the time to fix it. It could be the need to have that difficult conversation, and yet we keep avoiding it. So So she zeroes in on what are you tolerating and what would it take to fix it? And when they give that answer, her third thing then is, so when are you going to do that? And uh, it's, well, she's been of incredible help to me and many others by asking that question. Fabulous. All right. So I want to reply. We're going to take a break again. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how do you respond to questions. But I want to just highlight a thing from Bob's book. Again, the book is Great Leaders Ask Questions. You can download a free copy of this at leadingwithquestions.com along with a free audio. And the flow of the conversation is the following. If you want to take notes, here's your chance to do it. So what do you want to work on? Can you please tell me more? Where do you want to go, as in what's your goal? And where are you at now? And what's your plan to get from here to there? And what are the four options that you could do that would get you from there to here to there? And which option will you choose? What roadblocks or hurdles do you anticipate? And then when's our next meeting? Or can we confirm our next meeting? What a powerful coaching session for a manager under any circumstances. We'll be right back. And when we come back, we'll talk about how to respond to questions. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Bob TD. Bob's website is leadingwithquestions.com. You can download a copy of his ebook or the audio version. And the book is Great Leaders Ask Questions. All right, now I just want to highlight some of the fabulous questions that Bob has highlighted here because the basic principle is it doesn't take a PhD in psychology to figure out how to lead with questions. The simplest one to start with as you're leading with people is what do you think, followed by and what else, that's great, and what else, and tell me more, what else. So one series of simple questions. Another series of simple questions is what's going well. What's not going so well? Where are you stuck and what needs to change? And the third set of questions to tune into the emotional intelligence is just to listen to the emotional word in the sentence such as, I'm really frustrated. And it follows from you as the leader, frustrated, and listen. So throughout all of those, um, you know, lots of simple ways of getting people to start talking. So now let's go, though, to probably the hardest part of all of this, because asking the question is really the fairly easy part. It's the listening to it afterwards. And at the very beginning, Bob, we were talking about um, people who, as a leader, I ask, what do you think? And I don't get a response. And that's often because people aren't used to having to think. And you have a comment about that one as my style of leader. Well, Wanda, if if one of the leaders listening today kind of identifies with with uh, my story in terms of they've been a benevolent dictator or are a benevolent dictator, thinking that the job of a leader is to be directive. They love their staff, but they see that as their job. And now they hear this program or they, they uh, download my book and begin to read it and think, wow, I'm going to start asking questions. Well, the first time they do so, Wanda, they may not get a lot of answers because the staff are bewildered. I've never been asked questions by my boss. What is she up to? What's she trying to do? Is she trying to catch me in something? And uh, so it may take a while. In fact, Wanda, there's a wonderful story. Uh, One of the things we do with our emerging leaders is uh, it's a two-year program, but we spend one day going to the Walt Disney World behind-the-scenes leadership tour. And on that tour, the first stop was the laundry. And Wanda, driving up to the laundry, I had a yawn. It's like, can't we go to the fun places? Why would they take us to the laundry? And uh, kind of disappointed, but we went in, and they told this incredible story. That stop was the highlight of the whole day. They shared that at the Walt Disney Laundry Facility, they'd had an 85% turnover rate, and it was, like, awful. And so uh, they began to involve the staff in terms of asking them, 
kind of those three questions that were like uh, the Navy commander. But, you know, what's going well? What's not? And uh, what would you change if you could? And they got no response. The staff were afraid to answer. The staff thought if we answer, they will have ammunition to fire us. And so they said it took like six months before the staff began to answer. But when they did, they got brilliant input. They listened. They made changes. And today, the turnover rate is like 7 or 8%. Uh, but in other words, it sometimes takes time if you've never actually asked questions and listened for your staff to actually believe you're being genuine. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. So this takes some patience to go with it is one of the qualities, and you have to stick with it. If you just go back to your telling behavior because you've gotten frustrated, then people will know you didn't mean it, and they're never going to answer your questions. Six exactly. months to get a staff to say. All right, I want to do one of your quotes that you like um, and that's featured on your website from David Augsburger, which says, Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Distinguishable. I do believe that, that part of the secret of leading is to leave people feeling that they have been heard. And so what's the secret here to leaving people feeling that they have been heard? Wow. Well, I think there's many secrets. <laughs> One is just that, uh, well, Wanda, I'll tell a little story. Um, my granddaughter sometimes asks questions. She loves to ask questions, but she'll run away and get distracted even before I finished answering. Well, that's not going to work. Uh, that's certainly not going to work in the workplace. And so um, giving them your full undivided attention when they answer, listening with your eyes, not just your ears, and uh, a very effective technique and believe me, at first hearing of this, it can sound like, really? But it is to mirror back word for word what they just said. Wanda, what I'm hearing is that you feel misunderstood. Or Wanda, what I'm hearing you say is that you're feeling way overworked. And by mirroring back, people feel heard. It's such an important part of listening. And, and then, of course, we've, we've shared earlier on, you know, the four favorite questions, but asking what else, tell me more. The inflection, the appreciation in communicating. Wanda, this is great input. Thank you so much. And, and again, um, you, your uh, staff are going to know if that's genuine or you're just... Uh, stating words that you really don't feel yourself. Right. Okay, so the secret is I am focusing on somebody with my eyes so that they can see I'm concentrating on them. Two is a bit of silence. We've already said that in a couple of other places. And comfortable with that silence so people know it's okay to take time to compose their thoughts. And then three is mirroring back, playing back, synthesizing, particularly the emotional content, I think is what I heard you say in that one. Uh So tuning into what the feelings are and then following that with questions that get them to say more. So that's helpful. Tell me more. 
What else? Those kind of questions that get people talking. And I find when you do that, it's the simplest way to bring people around to an idea they don't necessarily want to follow in the first place or a change they don't necessarily want to do. If they feel heard, they're far more likely to get on board than if they don't feel heard. Okay, now help me with some other reactions. What if what I'm getting is resistance or defensiveness or a lot of emotionality? How do we deal with those kind of reactions? Well, one of my thought is don't be troubled by those, Um, meaning it'd be so easy at that point to kind of begin to feel defensive and feel like, okay, now I need to make a defense of, of my point or what I'm saying or where I'm getting at. But again, we'll just lean forward and say, Wanda, uh, tell me more. Help, help me understand what you're feeling here or what you're thinking. And again, focusing your eyes and listening. Um, because, well, several things. They will tell you. Uh, second, when they tell you more, you may actually find, oh, what they're saying, I'd actually don't disagree with. Um, or, wow, I've never thought of that, but that's actually very thoughtful. Uh, I'm going to need to ponder that. And uh, so it's not just a technique of, you know, please tell me more, uh, help me understand it's really a solution to make sure that you really do understand what they're communicating. Rather than assuming what you meant when they said, I'm upset without understanding what it is I'm upset about and why I'm upset or what it is underneath that that is really driving that sense of upset. Insightful. And it's also interesting that when we talk about conflict resolution, the key starting point for conflict or tension or disagreement is really about understanding the other person's perspective. So these kind of questions, exactly what we're saying, is the beginning point for any resolution of conflict or difference. And here we are back to the same place. Help me understand what you're feeling or thinking. Tell me more in a way that means I really um, care. Now, you talk about a story of a guy who does a lot of rapid-fire questions, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and that got him in trouble. Tell us why. What's that about? Well, yes, it was interesting. Um, Again, sometimes when we think about leading with questions, we think, well, just ask a lot of questions. And uh, he shares that... uh, he and his wife were meeting uh, one of her best friends and her fiancé, and they were meeting him for the first time. And he thought he was just being conversational, but he began to ask him all sorts of questions about his career. And he didn't read the body language. He didn't read the look in his wife's eyes telling him to quit asking questions. He only discovered later that the uh, the fiancé was, was offended. He actually thought he was trying to steal his company secrets because he hadn't taken time or didn't take time to read the body language. And so uh, not every conversation, I mean, it's not always time to ask. It's not always the right time to ask. People aren't always receptive. That doesn't mean leading with questions isn't a good thing. But it's, it's to uh, begin to have the emotional intelligence to know when, and sometimes just to do it in a much gentler fashion. Again, 
silence, letting them respond, having time to respond, and, and mirroring back. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's the part I got from my friend as he shared that story with me. Right. I certainly see a lot of people, especially very smart leaders, uh, expert leaders, who can think faster than almost everybody in the room. And when you fire question after question after question, you can often leave people feeling fairly intimidated. In fact, they feel bruised along the way. All right, Bob, one last one. I have to do one last question, which is um, that you have, we've got one minute, an impossible question. What is that and what does it mean? Why is it useful? Well, in my book, it's the final questions in the, in the book, and, and I love these. Uh, Joel Barker, in his book Paradigm, said, What do I believe is impossible to do in my field, but if it could be done, would fundamentally change my business? Mark Goulston, in his book Just Listen, asked a similar question. He, it's, it's like you would say, What's something that would be impossible to do, but if you could do it, would dramatically increase your success. And then I respond and say, if I could just do blank, but that's impossible. And you then say, well, what would make it possible? And um, Robert Hargrove, who is just a master coach, coaches like Fortune 100 CEOs, presidents, if he was meeting with you, and uh, and you asked about your impossible dream, and you said, "Well, I'd like just to increase my uh, my listenership by five percent." He would stand up and walk out, and you'd think, well, "Where's he going?" And he'd say, "You don't need me for that." Wanda, what's your impossible dream? And then, how can we plot a course from here, where you're at now, to reaching that? And, right. and Wanda, those are some of my favorite questions. I love that it. That gets us to think way, way beyond our borders, outside the box. Okay. And All right, Bob, I love is, it. Yep. Those, are, those are great questions. With me today is Bob TD. The website, again, is leadingwithquestions.com, and you can download a free copy of his ebook or the free audio, and the book is Great Leaders Ask Questions. I think my favorite one from all of this is, what is, do you like, what do you don't, not like so well, and what would you change if you could? Three very simple questions that can make a lot of difference. Bob, mm-hmm. thanks for being with us today. Wanda, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.